This is the last Sunday of the liturgical year, celebrated as the Feast of Christ the King, sometimes referred to as the Reign of Christ. Some of us may struggle a bit with this idea of Christ the King. You may have heard Lisa describe some discomfort with it, and it's certainly easy to see why it might be troublesome. Kingship can seem militaristic or triumphalist, the king as powerful conqueror. That's a particularly prevalent and popular concept in the United States, despite our origin story of fighting a war of independence from a king who was controlling and exploitative. The typical concepts that we associate with kingship, like power and wealth, conquest and victory, nationalism and empire, bear no resemblance to the principle of selfless compassion described in today's gospel reading. But maybe there's another way to approach this. Lutheran pastor Elizabeth Howe has suggested reimagining the feast of Christ the King as the feast of Christ the Center, arguing that we might be better served by setting aside hierarchical concepts and instead putting our primary focus on who Jesus was, on how they lived, and on how they treated people. And who did Jesus put in the center of their ministry? According to the account we heard today from Matthew, they called us to an ethic of decentering ourselves in order to offer respect, relief, and compassion to those found at the margins and in so doing, to place God at the center. Or, as our baptismal vows put it, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, reorienting our lives to action on God's behalf by enacting the kind of power dynamics and economic practices that match the dream of God, that make God's kingdom come. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has announced and described this kingdom of God. The kingdom is not about what happens to us when we die. This divine reign is, has already invaded the world, Jesus says, and it's good news, especially to those on the bottom rung of the social ladder. Unlike a typical kingdom, a human kingdom, this one welcomes and prefers those who have no status. The poor, the hungry, the stranger, and the imprisoned are of such value that as we just heard, they represent the presence of Jesus among us. Now let me turn the kaleidoscope a quarter turn and tell you what else I see in today's gospel lesson concerning sheep and goats and the kingdom. I want to talk about two concepts described by Diana Butler Bass in her book, Grateful. The first is a toxic form of transactional relationship described by the Latin term quid pro quo. It's a term that was in the news earlier this year. It literally means something for something or this for that. It's a transaction involving gifts and favors. I'll give you X 
if you give me y. But this isn't simply a swap between equally situated people. I'll give you $9 and a quarter, and you give me a chicken burrito bowl with guac and extra rice. Quid pro quo happens in uneven power arrangements. When a higher status privileged benefactor offers a gift to a lesser status beneficiary for the purpose of increasing the wealth or power of the giver. I'll do something for you so that you must do something for me in return. It's a way of exerting power and control, maintaining hierarchies. Quid pro quo was customary in the Roman Empire of Jesus' day. Caesar was seen as both an emperor and a god who bestowed land and possessions and power on governors who then gave portions of their holdings to local leaders and so on down the line. The people lower in the hierarchy then owed things to those people above them such as loyalty, service, taxes, tributes. In these imbalanced quid pro quo understandings, everything that's given came with strings attached. Such tainted arrangements have been used in empires, in institutions, in relationships ever since. A quid pro quo was at the heart of President Trump's impeachment. I think that the goats we heard about in today's gospel saw their own relationship with God as a transactional quid pro quo arrangement. This all-powerful God loves us, so we're required to love God in return, if you could call it love, because if we don't, God will punish us, banishing us to hell. Listen again to how the goats react. They're shocked by what Jesus says when he condemns their behavior. Lord, what are you talking about? When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? What they're essentially saying is, look, Lord, we're completely committed to a quid pro quo. You're the one with the clout here, and we respect that. We always want to treat you well, because then we can count on you to treat us well in exchange. You saw how we behaved in the temple, but how can we keep up our side of the bargain if you're in disguise? If we'd seen you then, as you are today, sitting on the seat of power, attended by your angels, we'd have stepped right up to give you your due. But surely you don't expect us to be friendly or generous to life's losers and suckers, people who have nothing to offer us in return. Surely you don't mean that there's no one we can safely ignore. What do they have to do with you? In contrast, Butler Bass describes the opposite of quid pro quo, which in Latin is the term pro bono. Pro bono, translated as for free or for the good, means something is given purely for the benefit of the recipient 
and nothing is required in return. No exchange is expected. This is behavior that heals and unifies. It's an extension of pure grace. Pro bono is, I'll pay nine dollars and a quarter for a chicken burrito bowl with guac and extra rice. And I'll also cover a comparable meal for the rude, scrawny teenager who's hustling for spare change over there by the door because he's hungry and because I can. I think that the sheep in today's gospel saw their relationship with God not as a quid pro quo, but rather as a grace-filled pro bono situation. This all-powerful God loved each of them, each of us, no matter what. And they were so surprised and delighted and, frankly, overwhelmed by that, that they naturally wanted to share their extraordinary bounty with others who seemed to need some. Period. Full stop. Listen again to how the sheep react. Just like the goats, they're shocked by what Jesus says when he praises their behavior. Lord, what are you talking about? When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and took care of you? What they're essentially saying is, look, Lord, we're the unexpected and undeserving beneficiaries of your crazy pro bono generosity. You're the one who's always with us an endless source of astonishing, extravagant love. And we're amazed by that. We're not trying to stay on your good side. We can see that we're already there. We know that we can't redeem ourselves. We're not doing performative charity here, trying to earn a spot in your kingdom or to win kudos from our community. See me being kind? See me donating these socks to someone. See me making it all about me. We're just inspired to follow your lead. This is our genuine, wholehearted response to your outlandish, unlimited love. It only makes sense to share what you've given us, especially with people who lack so much. The folks with no power, no talent, no money, no teeth the broken, the addicted, the felons, the refugees, the dropouts and the throwaways. We didn't recognize you playing hide and seek with us in every face. But what a joy it is to know that we can discover your presence in all the people of your kingdom. This is the last Sunday in ordinary time as we get ready to cross the threshold into Advent, we wonder what Jesus, who comes in such a radical disguise, has in store in the season ahead. All we have is a promise that if we simply look, we can see glimpses of Christ the King, Christ our center, in the most unlikely places because the kingdom of God is among us.